My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Toya Jules, the founder of the Village Tree Health Support Network, about her journey with systemic lupus and lupus nephritis. Systemic lupus is an autoimmune condition in which the immune system attacks healthy tissue throughout the body. And Toya was first diagnosed with lupus when she was just 15 years old. Lupus nephritis is a complication found in people with systemic lupus, in which lupus autoantibodies damage the kidneys, causing impaired function or even kidney failure. And Toya learned that she had lupus nephritis in her early 20s. Her doctors started talking about potentialities like dialysis and a kidney transplant. And as you can imagine, Toya was initially horrified by these prospects. Through years of medical trauma, Toya learned the importance of advocating for herself. She started connecting with other lupus patients online and doing research trying to discover a means of improving her situation. She discovered mention online of a lupus drug called Benlista, which she pushed her doctor to prescribe for her. And after starting Benlista, Toya is now in remission. She went from being in stage 4 kidney disease to a place where her kidneys are now functioning so much better that her doctors are no longer seeing the need for dialysis or a transplant in her near future. After discovering this drug that could do this much benefit for Toya's body, she realized that doctors weren't providing everything that patients like her needed to improve. So she decided to start her own nonprofit organization called the Village Tree Health Support Network. This organization is still in its very early stages, but Toya has huge dreams to create a hub of patient care access and case management. She describes this as turning her pain into purpose. Toya is an incredibly impressive young woman who, at 22 years old, has already made huge strides towards learning how to live with her chronic illness and finding ways to give back to the chronic illness community. I'm so excited by her vision for her organization, and I'm so impressed that she's just making it happen. And I'll definitely keep you updated in the future when her organization launches and they have a website up and are ready to start collecting grants and donations. Toya's story is one of resilience and adaptation, of experimentation with different healing modalities, and of learning to find the balance that works for her individually so that she can start giving back to her community. It's an awesome, awesome interview. I'm so excited to share it with you, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. A couple weeks ago on the podcast, I interviewed Micah about his responsive neurostimulation device to help control his epilepsy. And we talked about how he is a podcaster himself, and he runs a show called Seizure Salad. And I'm excited to say that my episode of Seizure Salad just came out a couple days ago. Micah interviewed me about my chronic illness situation. We had a great time chatting with each other, and that episode is available. I will put a link in the description of this podcast episode. Or you can just search for Seizure Salad on whatever podcast platform you like to listen on. This was the first time that I sat down to tell my whole story in a while, and definitely since I learned that I might have mast cell activation syndrome, the potential diagnosis that I have been taking medication for, and that's why I've been doing so much better with my health recently. So this is sort of a new take on my story with this new piece of information, crucial information that might illuminate what's been going on in my body. And speaking of that, speaking of my doing better, that is continuing. I actually had a big scare last week. I had about five days where I really didn't do so well. And I got really nervous that I was sliding back into a flare-up. But I tightened up my mast cell activation syndrome protocol, 
made sure that I was getting the rest that I needed and took a little bit extra of the medications that have been recommended to me for that sort of situation. And I'm really happy to say that it worked and I'm feeling better again. Um, so yeah, I feel like I'm right on this knife edge where this, you know, this world of being sick all day, every day is right below the surface. And I'm able to sort of swim on top of that as long as I stay vigilant about my diet and my exercise and my medication. And it's so much work, but it does seem to be working. So the next step for me still is to get tested for small fiber neuropathy, which I'm still waiting for. I'm still just a couple weeks away from my next appointment with a neurologist who specializes in small fiber neuropathy and who can hopefully help me get the punch biopsy that I've been waiting for to test for this disease. And if that is positive, I think that my doctors and I are going to start looking at, you know, is there another diagnosis that is causing these two things to happen, the mast cell activation and the small fiber neuropathy, because those two can often be comorbidities in other conditions. It could just be happening on its own, but there could be an underlying condition. So, you know, I'm still just kind of swimming in this nebulous region of, of maybe having a diagnosis, not being sure, not knowing if that's the whole picture, but knowing for sure that something is working, something is helping, I am doing better. And it's it's really exciting. It's a, it's a great place to be in my journey. As soon as I get a firm diagnosis, something I'm really excited to do is sign up for Rare Patient Voice so that I can participate in research studies and surveys. And I'm so excited that Rare Patient Voice has partnered with the Major Pain Podcast. We have an affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. You can find that link in the description of each episode of this show. And if you click that link to sign up to participate in research studies and surveys, you can be paid to share your expertise about living with your condition. It can be any diagnosis at all. It does not need to be a rare disease. I just saw on Rare Patient Voices Instagram that they're now paying an average of $120 per hour to participate in a research study or survey. So all you have to do, click our link, sign up to participate. And when you do so, you'll be supporting this podcast. Just wait until you hear from them to participate in a research study or survey, and if you do participate, then you will be paid an average of $120 per hour for your time. It's a very cool opportunity, and I hope you'll check it out. This podcast is funded by our listeners through Patreon, an amazing platform that helps the supporters of creative projects to financially support creators directly with monthly recurring financial contributions. Our subscriptions start from $2 per month and go up to $25 per month. Everyone who signs up gains access to monthly bonus episodes, and there's also special recognition and gifts available at the different tiers. Extra special thank you to our top-tier Patreon producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia, for your continued amazing support of this podcast. Don't forget to leave us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else it is that you listen to this show. And if you are a part of a patient organization or just want to share this podcast with a friend, please do so. It's so helpful to help get the word out about this show. I mentioned this a few weeks back, but I wanted to put out the call one more time that we are getting close to our two-year anniversary of Major Pain. And at the beginning of each year of the show, we have a tradition of catching up with previous guests who've been on the podcast. This is our second time doing so. I'm really excited. I'm in discussions with a couple of people to set up an interview time, and I can't wait to hear how they are doing. Each episode of this podcast is just a snapshot into someone's health journey. And those journeys are continuing after people are on the show. Some people get new diagnoses. Some people find new therapies that are helpful, and I want to hear about it. So if you've been on the show in the past and you want to share an update about your journey, now is the time to reach out. Send me an email, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com, 
and let me know if you're interested. That email address is a great way to reach out for any other reason if you'd like to send some feedback about the show, inquire about appearing on the show for the first time, or you can even use that address to find us on PayPal and send a one-time donation. You can also leave a comment on every single episode of this podcast on our website, majorpainpodcast.com. I always appreciate hearing from people who listen to the show. I'll remind you as always that my guests and I are not medical professionals, so please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our amazing conversation with Toya about systemic lupus, lupus nephritis, and her new nonprofit startup, the Village Tree Health Support Network. Toya, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for the warm welcome. Um, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to talk to you today. We actually uh, chatted briefly last week about, you know, getting to know each other a little bit and projects that we're both working on. We seem to have a lot in common and some very similar goals. So, yeah, I'm really excited to hear more about your story and to get get to know you today. Yes, I'm excited too. I think we align on a lot of things and we can definitely help our communities in so many ways. Um, and so I, I really hope that by sharing like my story and seeing what ways we can work together, that we are able to like serve the community in the best way we can. Absolutely. Well, let's get to know you a little bit. So Toya, why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Toya. Well, my first name is Marime. People can't pronounce it. <laughs> so I, <laughs> uh, my nickname is Toya. Um, I had that nickname since I was a kid. Um, my grandmother said I, I looked like a little toy when I was a baby because I, I really didn't move a lot, which I don't know if that sounds a little bit concerning. But <laughs> um, yeah, my name is Toya Jules. I currently live here in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm originally from the East Coast. So New Jersey, born and raised. Um, I have a twin sister who... She is, she's not a person who has a chronic illness and autoimmune. So she's definitely been my, um, my rock throughout this whole process. But um, I work up here at the university um, and I've, I've been here for about eight, almost going on nine years. So it's definitely been a journey and I learned a lot. Awesome. Very cool. That's so interesting to have a twin sister and to have one of you have an autoimmune condition. That's a really unique position to be in. I don't think I've ever spoken with anyone for whom that's the case. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a unique position to be in. Um, it, it has its ups and downs, but it, it's great to have a support system and someone who's also a big advocate for uh, chronic illness and health. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what that would feel like. I mean, I know, you know, when I first got sick, there was a lot of anger <laughs> and feelings yeah. of like, why me? And mm -hmm. a lot of complicated feelings that took a long time for me to work through. And I can't imagine having someone who shares my face not going through that right next to me. What did that feel like? Well, my sister and I are fraternal twins, so <laughs> that kind of helps. But um, <laughs> we, I don't know. I actually haven't thought much about that. But there was a lot of resentment in the beginning of, you know, why me, right? And I've always been somewhat of a sickly child. So, <laughs> like, I... It's not a surprise, but um, I have other siblings who don't have a chronic illness, autoimmune, um, and it's, yeah, sometimes it's kind of a, a humbling experience for sure. Absolutely. Well, speaking of an autoimmune condition, let's fill in our audience on what your situation is. So, Toya, what is your major pain? 
Yes, I have lupus nephritis. Um, technically, it's stage four kidney disease. Um, it's it's been a journey here. So I, <laughs> lupus nephritis. Um, I had systemic lupus, and it's kind of hard to define what lupus is. Um, I like to think of it of if R if R A and M S had a baby. They would have lupus. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way I can explain it. There's so many different definitions because it's um, something that a lot of people, um, especially like scientists and medical professionals can't specifically identify. Um, there has been different definitions, one of which being lupus is an autoimmune disease, which attacks your uh, internal organs, um, joints, skin, etc. I, I personally don't think that's the most correct def- definition. Um, I've heard others. I Again, that RA and MS having a baby is the best way I can describe lupus. We have a lot of the same symptoms as RA mixed with a lot of sim- same symptoms as MS. And so it's, it's definitely something that um, affects people differently, um, different races, different people. A lot of People who have lupus tend to be people of color, uh, women of color, and it affects black women the most. Interesting. Yeah. So we did an episode recently about systemic lupus and got to learn a little about that. But lupus nephritis is new to me. I I don't know um, the distinction. You mentioned that's a kidney disease, um, stage four kidney disease. Can you give us some more details about that? Yeah. So it affects my kidneys the most. So it's like lupus, but I guess in my kidneys. Um, and so I have had so far two kidney biopsies, which uh, revealed um, the lupus nephritis. Um, for me, daily symptoms just looks like I sometimes have like pain or like a discomfort around my kidneys, probably something with like urinary uh, inconsistencies, um, whatever have you recently. It was um, and I'm not, I'm not sure if this is direct cause from the from the lupus, um, but I had kidney stones, which isn't great if oh, you've had I've it. I've had that too. Oh my God, it's the <laughs> yeah, worst. Yeah, like 20, 22 years old with like, with, you know, kidney issues. It's kind of, it's challenging, you know, it's kind of a scary experience too, because, you know, then you have to think of things like dialysis, right? And mm. um, kidney transplant in the future. I mean, we think about Selena Gomez, who've had a kidney transplant, um, but she has money, right? <laughs> mm. Like for the average, you know, person, especially person of color, um, they're usually on a wait list a lot longer. Um, and so these are things that I have to think about with lupus nephritis. Um, but right now I'm currently in remission. I'm taking Benlista, which is a monthly infusion, a high plug for that. Yeah. Um, if, if you haven't discovered that, if you haven't talked to your doctor about it, I definitely recommend it was definitely a life changer for me. So, wow. So you had systemic lupus and yes. then it sort of focalized, focalized, is that a word? Um, focused. <laughs> localized that's the word i'm looking for localized in your kidneys do you still have systemic lupus also or or do you just have lupus nephritis now i believe i still have uh, systemic lupus so this is kind of a long story and i'll I'll be happy to dive into it that's what we're here for is the long story (laughs) (laughs) yeah we can jump to the beginning of the story if that if that's better for you yeah yeah and it will kind of explain a lot and this will kind of lead into what i feel like caused a lot of this and awesome um so i moved here to utah in 2014 and i was living with my sister and her husband my twin sister and her daughter so it's pretty big pretty big family at that point um 
during that time, I've experienced a lot of um, traumatic events, mostly mental and emotional trauma, um, culture shock. I came from New Jersey to a place like Utah. That's I can't even go into what that might look like, but it's definitely it's definitely different. Right. Um, and then on top of that, my body was adjusting to the environment. You know, I went from a place that was at sea level. Now I'm just like mountain levels and, you know, above sea level. Um, and the air was different. The climate was different. And so why, while I was going through this whole process, um, getting adjusted, getting adapted, I went to camp this one time and I had a preauricular um, pit. And I don't know if people know what that is, but it's, it's also kind of rare. I, I send, I tend to be like the target for like rare things. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was born with this, like a little hole that connects to my sinus. Um, and it, I went camping and got affected. I had to get like a whole f- surgery to remove like that track right next to my face. Anyways, it was a nightmare. Was on like a lot of drugs, um, like painkillers at one point and things like that. Um, at like 15. Wow. And so that was, that was less actually one of the first surgeries I've ever gotten was that. Um, and then obviously a lot of the emotional, mental trauma continued. Um, and then that's when I started noticing things about my body. Right. And I feel like this was kind of like a direct correlation. You know, I was going through a lot of these things. The environment wasn't the best um, physically as well as emotionally. Um, and I became allergic to everything. Hmm. But my platelets dropped um, a thrombicepina. Yeah, endiopathic oh. thrombicepina. That's what it is. Oh, that's a word I've never heard before. <laughs> what was yeah, that word right? again? Endiopathic thrombicepina. So wow. it's basically when my platelets drop dramatically low. You know, it's supposed to be somewhere around the 150, kind of on low end to 350 and 1,000, right? Mine was at 5,000. So it was, I was bruising easily. I was getting petechiae, which is kind of like burst blood vessels on your skin. So it looks like a, a, like a little rash, but I was getting that a lot. Um, and like, we couldn't figure out why. And so I did testing for lupus even, right? And I did testing for RA and doctors were like, oh, that's so weird. Um, and my mom being the person that she is, she's a shaman, but she passed, she was in nursing for a while. Um she was like, you just need iron. You just need iron. That's what you need. Don't take anything the doctors give you. Um, and she's going to come up later in the story and, and stuff like that. So <laughs> um, just keep that in mind. So I was taking iron, a lot of iron for a while. And eventually went away. Right. Um, and then shortly after that, bef- it was when we we're talking um, senior year of high school and it's close to graduation. I became allergic to literally everything. And I don't know how to describe this. But whatever I ate, um, whatever brushed up against my skin, I just became super allergic. So I went to a an allergist and he did the toe testing on my back and my back lit up. And he was like, I don't know how you're allergic to everything, but I think you have lupus. And I'm like, how did you go from allergy to I have lupus? And I think maybe he saw it before. Right. So he was kind of a saving grace Um I think I still remember his name, Eric. Yeah, his name's Eric. He's awesome. Great allergist here. Um, and then I started having a lot of joint issues. I remember doing ballroom and thinking, oh, maybe I'm just overworking myself. But then I started to notice, like, especially around my knees and my elbows and the other parts of my joints, where it just started hurting so bad. Um, 
and when by the time graduation came around, my mom came from Jersey to Utah to visit me. Um, and I couldn't walk up the stairs. It was so painful. I couldn't eat anything. Um, I would go through periods of times where I could eat like nuts and, you know, high hypersensitive like type foods, and then other times where I couldn't. Um, and it was it was really hard because I went from being able to eat everything to not eating anything at all. I had a friend who tried to explore different like recipes with me and I was just getting so discouraged. Her grandma even tried doing like pressure points and figuring that stuff out. And anyways, we, we tried so much, so many things. Um, my mom, again, being the person that she is contacted herbalist and um, in Jersey and, and different things to try to figure out what's going on. Um, but the wait time here in Utah was like three months before I saw a rheumatologist. So I went through three months of high fevers, and I'm talking 101, 102, 103 fevers, um, joint pain, couldn't walk up the stairs. Graduation day, I it was so painful. I had to walk up like to the stage to grab my diploma and like smile through it because it was being recorded, and it was extremely painful. <laughs> like I remember going home um, afterwards and staying home while my sister and, her, and my family went out to go, you know, obviously explore Utah it was their first time there, especially my mom. And I was just at home in pain. Um, and that was one of the surreal experiences I've had of like, OK, this is what lupus is. Right. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to uh, college. Right. I, I moved out with my twin sister. We're, like, we're living in a city. It's exciting. Um, and. We're, you know, getting ready to go to college. I went to the University of Utah up here. And I soon realized that I couldn't, right? I had a doctor's appointment and he was like, well, this is what lupus is. And this is what your life is going to be like now. And it it broke my heart, right? Like, well, you might have this, you might have a stroke, you might have this. It will be hard for you to have children in the future. And you have to take into account this. And it's like me and my sister just there in a room hearing all of these things. And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to graduate. I'm first generation, um, by the way. So th- there's also that pressure in a Haitian family and culture to be, to go to college, especially nursing or doc, get a, be a doctor, um, get a degree and get a great job. Right. And so I'm like, no, I'm going to push through it. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to excel. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> and then like a month, like a two months or three months into the experience, I still, I still wasn't figuring out my medication, still couldn't figure it out. Um, and my joints started hurt really bad. Contacted disability, see if there's anything they could do. But at this point, um, I really just couldn't walk. And so I had to take a sabbatical from school. And it, as somebody who was a high overachiever and still kind of am, it really took me for a spin. Um, I, I, I remember being extremely depressed and saying, wow, this is my life now, right? And I have to get used to this. Um, and so it, it didn't get better. <laughs> That's, you know, you would think that, okay, I, I could stay home. I'm just working, you know, it gets better, but it didn't get better. Um, I still struggled even advocating for myself in the medical system, um, asking for what I need, asking for information. I didn't quite feel comfortable with my doctor. And, um, there's not a lot of doctors of color here and especially not a lot who encounter lupus. Right. And so, it's it was definitely a, a challenge and a struggle for a while. Now, how did I get to lupus nephritis? Um, I well, I think it was about twenty twenty two or twenty one. 
Um, I was really sick. I got the flu, right? And I, I didn't get the flu shot regardless of my twin sister. She's like, get the flu shot, Toya. Get the flu shot. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, and I didn't get the flu shot. And then I got really sick. And I, you know, there was this whole thing with insurance. And so I basically wasn't going to the doctor. And um, we, uh, it got worse. Like, you know, and I got really, really sick this one time. My body was just really hurting. Um, and I went in, a, I went in a for some odd reason. And at this time I decided going vegan was the best option to heal my lupus. Right. And I, I tried so many different diets at that point. People were like go vegan. It's the cleanest thing. It will help heal your body. And my mom, she's like herbs, herbs, heal the body. Don't take your medication. Herbs heal the body. Right. I mean, she would deny it now, but that's basically <laughs> what I was taking herbs. I went vegan um, and I was, I was losing a ton of weight. Um, and then I went anaphylactic out of nowhere. We still don't know what caused it. Um, I kind of think it was my body it was just like, yeah, I'm giving up. But mm. <laughs> I went anaphylactic. I woke up like my mouth was burning. My throat was burning. I like ran upstairs and told my older sister because at this time we were we visited her for like Thanksgiving. Um, it was around that time, honestly, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Um, and I ran upstairs and I couldn't talk and. Um, I was like, lur, 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 you know, <laughs> and wow. she like rushed me. To, it was like maybe well, close to one in the morning. She like rushed me to the hospital. Um, and then that's when the whole thing happened. The whole fiasco happened. I They told me I had streptococcus pneumonia. Um, I went septic in the hospital, feeding tubes, oxygen. Um, and I was telling the doctors, hey, you know, they're like, you lost so much weight. You're like 110 pounds. You know, what happened? Um, and I was like, well, I couldn't eat anything. So I just eventually stopped eating. Um, and that's, that's, that was my solution, right? <laughs> I've tried so many diets I've eaten, I've tried going vegan, but then at one point I literally couldn't eat anything. Like everything would cause mass inflammation. You would see it in my joints, even knots in my hands. And, um, and my mom who was going to visit us for the holidays, she doesn't fly. She she would rather take a greyhound for like three days than fly. And she actually did that. But this time she flew to Utah, met me in the hospital. Um, and I was hooked up feeding tubes, oxygen, uh, had physical therapists because I like for some reason lost, couldn't really walk that well. And I spent 10 days in the hospital, um, had my first kidney biopsy. And um, oof, excuse me. But it was... It was um, it was a very surreal experience, and that's when I figured out I had lupus nephritis. And you're like, well, this is affecting your kidneys, and um, kidneys are like failing. And it was like this whole, it was insane. I've like, I remember just breaking down and saying like, wow, you know, I at this point I was what twenty one, twenty two, and um, yeah, it was it was very hard to hear so many of those things. My mom, of course, freaking out. Um, and by the time we came back for our second appointment, my mom was still here. She'd stayed a month here in Utah to try to nurse me back to health. Um, and at this time, my twin sister, who I mentioned earlier, um, she's working, she's, she's knows me in and out. She knows how I like my pillows arranged, um, what things help my inflammation. She was my caretaker for a long time. Um, we didn't really have a ton of familial support here. 
Um, and she really, she really took the reins and say, no, I know what she likes. She, she definitely talks to doctors like, nope, she doesn't need that. I told you she didn't want that. And like, she's like number one advocate. And so that was awesome having her there as well. But uh, we went back like maybe a month later and my lupus, that nephritis progressed to like stage three, uh, stage four. Um, and that's, that's basically where I am right now. Um, I advocated for Benlista, which is a drug that I found. And I was like, hey, I want to try this. Um, it's a new one. And the doctor was like, okay, let's do it. Let's just got to, we just had to get medical necessity and, you know, the whole medical world. But um, what I've been doing since is just doing my infusions, taking my medication, trying to, still trying different modalities of health um, to figure things out. But I'm in a really good place right now. But the journey there has been a, a very painful one, emotionally, mentally, physically, um, and I, I recommend for people who are going to chronic illness, please get a therapist. Yeah. Please, like I, I beg you, <laughs> get a therapist to to help you really navigate that. Because I'm at a point right now where I'm in remission and I'm and I'm doing well. Um, but at the time, I was going to therapy, and I guess bringing up a lot of those emotional things really did affect my lupus, like my body. Like I was reliving a lot of some of those uh, traumatic experiences that I mentioned earlier, and that that made things worse, right? But right now that I'm in I'm in remission, um, I'm going back in and and really working through those things, doing EMDR um, with my therapist and um, figuring out, you know, there's this medical intense medical trauma um, that's you know that we need to work through and. And basically the whole story I gave you is what I gave her and we're working through it. But I definitely suggest people with chronic illness, if you're if you're not seeking therapy, this is something that is essential as part of your mental health. And it greatly affects your physical health. Um, and I really believe in the the mental, the gut health connect, gut to brain connection. Um, if people don't know what that is, um, basically your microbiome sometimes can throw off your mental health and um and how also trauma is related to health. Big believer in like epigenetics and how generational trauma affects health. Um, I, we don't have enough time to go into that, but I definitely think like it's a you have to look at a holistic perspective when it comes to your health, especially with something like lupus or MS or especially fibromyalgia. Right? It's like there's so many unknowns, and you you know like your emotional state can often cause flares. Um, but yeah, that's. That's the whole story. It was a lot. And it's a little bit all over the place. But it's it's definitely something that has, has inspired me to to really understand how I can help others in, in that process of navigating their health um, because I've been through so much. Yeah, you've been through a ton. And how old are you now, if you don't mind my asking? I am 22. I'm going to turn 23. Yeah, I'm going to turn 23 in March 10th, so in a few, six days. So you're still yeah. within the the year of of this lupus nephritis happening. So this is all pretty fresh. Yes, this is about a year or two fresh. Wow. I mean, the journey itself, starting at 15 years old, that's so much to go through in your, like, oh, yeah. in your late teens, early 20s. That's, that's really intense. But um, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I definitely have a ton of questions for you. So you mentioned uh, in therapy, you're doing, I think you said EMDR. What is that? Yeah. So it's, um, it basically works with like rapid eye movement and reprocessing trauma, but being able to um, fix the stories, I guess, or the way that it appears. So the process 
looks like. And I I don't have the perfect definition for this, but the process basically looks like you pick a, a memory um, and you're able to explore that memory and find ways to cope with it. And it's like, um, so dot like comes on the screen and you're looking at the dot like left and right. And it's basically supposed to activate your left and right brain um, to help you process this trauma. Um, and you create like a coping mechanism or a coping strategy to be able to um, really hone in on that trauma and change the story behind it. So every single time you, you talk about a trauma, you see the dots on the screen, you move your eyes left and right. Um, and then, you know, questions are asked about that trauma, what memories is coming up, what feelings is coming up, where it is in your body. Um, and it helps you release it. So it doesn't help you relive your trauma, but it helps you identify it, identify the feelings in the body where you're storing it in your body. And if you don't know, like if you haven't read the body keeps score, definitely one you should read of how trauma is stored in your body. Um, and I definitely think that it's part of uh, what contributed to um, the lupus now, but that's a different story. <laughs> but yeah, so basically that's the process of EMDR. Um, I clearly have so much to unpack. So it's, I haven't yet finished it. I guess, I guess you never really finished with therapy, but, um, but yeah. Do you know what uh, EMDR stands for? Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Wow. Okay, well, I've never yeah, heard of so that. So it's a long one. It's yeah. a long one. <laughs> so yeah, I, it was recommended to me by um, an old therapist, and he was like, "Well, I want to do this with you if you're physically able to do it." And I figured, I figured out that reliving a lot of childhood trauma also um, is was not awesome, especially when my body was already freaking out, and now I'm like in this fight or flight mode. So anyways, I don't recommend doing it when you're at the heightened state of your, you know, disease or uh, chronic illness. I, again, I'm not a therapist or a f clinical physician, so seek your therapist. But for me, not the best time to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. Uh, that's trying to unpack trauma while you're in the midst of a current physical crisis maybe not the best time um no yeah so to try to get get to a better place first focus on the physical health and then right. try to dig dig into this trauma work um sounds like for you that was the right order of events <laughs> yes <laughs> yes i learned that quickly it's yeah. a learning experience i feel like i i feel like a guinea pig sometimes right like you have to try so many different things to see what works and there's oftentimes where you will get discouraged and there's times where you would find a community of people. And one thing I do love about here in Utah is that people are very um, community focused. Um, there's so many different reasons why, but um, I, I found a community of people who visited me in a hospital and they, um, you know, took my mom out and, you know, it was just, it was just awesome to have that support. So I also think like having that community support, especially during those times, if you don't have the familial support, um, is essential as well. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned your mom being a shaman and wanting you to take herbs. Um, <laughs> and, and you also talked about a holistic approach to health yes. and looking at things from different angles. And right. I'm curious, is there, is there ever any conflict there of you going down this sort of, um, Western medicine approach being poked mm -hmm. and prodded in the hospital, but it seems like you are trying to integrate everything that you can into your wellness. Um, yes. But yeah. has there ever been a conflict there? Yeah. Um, I had a period of time in my, 
just just a little bit of background. My mom's a Haitian shaman, so um, she was a nurse for a while. She worked in nursing homes, and she was like, "Well, I've seen drugs kill people, and I've seen you know like be careful about which ones you take." And so for a while, I was really and you know bless my mom. She she doesn't know a lot about lupus. She didn't know anything about lupus. Um, we have another person who had lupus in our family, but that's something I found out later. Right. So to everybody else, it was pretty new. Um, And so she was just trying to find some rationale and reasoning behind it. But she we also grew up with that same mentality of like you take herbs instead of going to the doctor. And that wasn't always a great option um, because obviously I feel like there there needs to be some type of balance. Right. You should really be precautionary, take precautionary measures. We're using herbs and other healing modalities and continue that while you're you know, why you have a chronic illness, but definitely think it's not, it's not a fix all be all. I think everything has its place, but there was a period of time where I was like, okay, I'm not going to take my medication. I'm going to take herbs. Not the best idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I realized, yeah, it was not working. I actually went to go do other like electromagnetic censoring, processing something too, with like a, they hook you up to like um, these, I don't know, like these machines and they could tell like, well, certain things. And anyways, there's so many things here in Utah. A lot of people are really into um, essential oils, one, <laughs> and two, other healing modalities. And so I've, I've explored a ton, right? I've, I went down, you know, the acupuncture, massages, like um, all of that. Acupuncture is amazing too. I strongly suggest that, especially with circulation. But yeah, it was definitely interesting growing up and having that Okay, you take herbs and now I have to be relying on Western medication because that's what's working right now. Um, but also finding that balance of knowing what herbs to take um, and how they help. And I've been taking lion's mane, which is really good for focus and clarity. I've been having a lot of brain fog recently, but just just again, being a guinea pig, trying these different things out um, to see what works for you. Yeah. And I, different things work for everyone. And- right. There's so much value to be found everywhere, you know, <laughs> like this is sort of my, my approach with my own health recently is, um, you know, when I, when I first got really sick, I was like, what, we need to find the medication. We need the diagnosis and the medication. Uh, and it's going to be some weird chemical I've never heard of before. That's going to be the <laughs> cure, you know? Um, right. And then people are always like, well, have you tried yoga? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, I yeah. just want to smack you. Um, and you know, people telling me that I just need to fix my diet mm-hmm. and fix my mindset and right. all these things. But, you know, and now here I am, I'm 38 years old, and I now think that it's all true. <laughs> yeah, all, exactly. of it, all of it is helpful. Like, yoga yeah. is very helpful. It's not the cure. Um, right. You know, I, I'm so lucky that I have now finally found medication that is helping. Uh, but the medication itself is not enough. I also take some herbs, like some naturopathic things. For me, diet was huge and it was just finding the right diet. And I also tried every diet and the one I hadn't heard of was the low histamine diet and that's the one that I needed. Um, So, yeah, so it's all this put together and and like the self-talk about how I think about myself and talk to my own body and have like a relationship with myself, um, trying to bridge that mind-body connection with, with love has been very helpful for my for me too. But no no one piece of that is enough. It was all exactly. of it. It was all of it. And it was like this process of 
exploration and discovery to try to figure out what would work. And I've definitely been down alleys that just did not work and were harmful and cost a ton of money. Um, right. I've talked a lot about a naturopath that I saw that really did a lot of harm and uh, bo- both like mentally and physically. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's, that's such a danger when you're in a vulnerable state of someone basically saying like, I can fix this and you just need mm-hmm. to pay me this amount of money for two years. Um, yeah. Like that can be very dangerous as well. But then there are some people out there for whom that works. So it, it's it's so complicated, and it's just finding that individual path and trying to trying to attack it from every angle that you can think of, and finding something. I love I love talking about health holistically. Finding something holistic that kind of enco- encompasses everything that works for you individually, and making a practice out of it. Um, finding some dedication to it and and seeing what happens and i think that 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 is a recipe for success for a lot of people yeah and i definitely agree um i i will be careful for those who are in that vulnerable state to not just throw your money at the next person that said they can heal you i mean i've i've had this one call i and i and i empathize with you a lot on this which they're basically saying well you're going to school you're doing this how you're able to do that when your body's all like and it was just like mental health math, like I broke down and I was just like, that's not what I needed to hear (laughs) at all. Like, I know there's a lot of things that you don't need to hear, but somebody that's bashing you for your process and not knowing, right. And they're like, well, I have the cure and I know everything. So I'll be careful for those people, right. Who, you know, who claim that they can heal you and fix you within an instant and with, you know, X, Y, and Z, because it might not work for you. So have some sound reasoning around you. For me, it was my twin sister. who was like, mm, that does not sound right. It does not fit right. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't sit right in my body. And I was like, it doesn't sit right in my body either. So she's been kind of that voice of reasoning. She's been even trying these diets out with me so that I would have that support. But she's been that support. And she's been that person who would say, mm, no, this doesn't sound right. Let's not do that. And then she's been that person that was like, you need to get that shot because remember last Christmas? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, she really kind of like, you know, put some perspective. And so have a community of people or even family who have that perspective and who can be more balanced in that because it will keep you grounded. Um, and I know a lot of times when you have chronic illness of any kind, you could feel like everything's happening to you. Right. And um, there's no control over like what's going on in your body around you. And it's a definitely um, scary experience. But but thank you for sharing your experience, because I, I definitely relate with it on so many levels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a huge warning sign if someone tells you they can cure you. I, a huge red flag. If, if you go into a practitioner of any kind and they say, oh, well, I've seen people like you before. I can cure you. Uh, and this will be co- completely gone soon. That's always a red flag for me now. Right. And because everyone who's ever said that to me was completely wrong. The people who say, well, I've seen some, something similar to this before. I have some things we can try. I have no guarantees about whether or not this will work. But if this doesn't work, then maybe there's something else we can try. That is what I look for now. Like that, that is a nice. much, um, <laughs> much more pragmatic place to approach healthcare. Uh, people who overpromise, healthcare practitioners who overpromise, are dangerous. They are dangerous, and it's something that I didn't know to look out for at the beginning of my journey. And now, having been down some roads that were that were very hard and did not help, and prolonged my journey in a negative way, um, 
that's something that I really want to keep repeating on the podcast is look out for those people who say, especially if they say not only like, can I cure you? But when they say I'm the only one who will know yeah. how to cure you, that's right. the biggest red flag. Look out for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And so we think about, OK, so we've gone through these experiences. Right. And it's so easy to say life is hard. I hate my life. Um, and I've been there. And I'm not judging anyone who's in that current spot right now um, because I've been through so many, like I went through a very depressive episode of my life. I've been through a very limiting mindset type belief. I found my sister who's been again, my like the caretaker to rock. That's like, no, we can try it. It'll be okay. Like, let's, let's get up and do it. Or, you know, I know this didn't work. Like, I'm sorry. And, you know, sometimes you, again, you need those people around you, but Whatever journey you are in your life, do not feel like what I'm going to say next is me criticizing you by any means. But I've been through those periods of my life where I kind of gave up, right? Um, but I think it's very important when we have these experiences to use our experience to help the collective. Um, and by that, I mean, there was a time where I was like, you know, I'm, I'm an okay spot. I wonder how many other people has gone through this experience. And then I started joining patient advocacy groups. I joined a um, a kind of group under the health department here in Utah. I'm not really going to specifically disclose, but um, I've joined all these patient lupus advocacy groups, patient chronic illness. I've done so many studies, not clinical, but um, kind of like research focus group studies. I'm very weary of the clinical studies, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and, I, and I've learned so many things from different people and I f realized that I'm not alone in this experience. And, and there's an, there's a like really great thing about that, but there's also a point where, um, which I described to my therapist, she said, you know, have you tried going to support groups and things like that? And I was like, I have. And she said, well, how, did, how do you feel about that? And I feel like, and how I described it to her was, well, it's great because it's like, we're all on a bus to hell, right? <laughs> fire and brimstone around us and we're like oh yeah like i definitely get it i did that too and like we're laughing but then when we stop laughing and we stop we kind of look around and we're like oh well we're all screwed you know and that's <laughs> i know that's not the best way to look at it but um it that's what it feels like right and it it feels like that but on a life journey instead of actually after life if that makes any sense yeah um and and I was like, oh, there's so many people going through this. Is there resources? Is there things out there that can help people like us, right? Um, again, like this is a lifelong thing. There's so many things we have to put on hold, whether that's our jobs, whether that's starting a family, marriage, finding partners. There's so many things that's run through my mind over the years of how my life is going to look like. Will my life continue in a few years? And some people, they have to think about that more realistically than I do, Um but I was looking for these resources and it took me years to find the resources and to learn how to advocate for myself in the medical system and to learn how to incorporate all these different modalities into my health. And did I want to take off school? I didn't, but I, I'm back and I'm grateful that I am. But a lot of people can't do that. They can't take off school. They can't not work, you know, take out loans just to support their health. Like it's, Something that I feel like the medical system, especially here in the U.S., doesn't take into account um, is all the other intersectionalities of our health and how different things are affected. So that leads me to 
talking about my next endeavor in life is is starting the nonprofit called Villagery Health Support Network. Um, and what Villagery does is like it's the hub, kind of like the medical home model. It's like the it's the hub of patient care and access and case management. Um, and what this program would do is we'll grab, um, we'll connect patients, right, to us. The patients then will develop a comprehensive needs analysis with our case managers. Um, and what we want to do with these case managers is make sure we match these um, individuals up with maybe people in the community who's had lupus and who is now a case manager, who's a community health worker, doctor, whatever, um, so that there's that understanding and that kind of close proximity when it comes to like providing care and understanding the patient. Um, and then we'll connect those patients, warm connect them, which is a big thing to resources that really like holds a lot of their needs, whether that's I need access to these types of foods and this organization or nonprofit or for-profit has these pro bono services where they give you access to legal advice and it's to help people, not just chronic illness patients. Eventually I want to brought out to more people, but I definitely want to focus on the community of like underserved minority um, chronic illness patients, especially those with rare diseases um, and how we can best support them. And so that's basically my, what I'm doing now. And I'm, you know, starting, just starting this nonprofit. And so really working through a lot of the legal stuff, of course. Um, but I've gotten so much, and I, and I was telling you this before we got on, but I've gotten so much support from the community around me and things have just been falling into line. So I I feel like this is something that I was meant to do. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose, right? And how I can help do that and how I can help others. I've been putting out fires in <laughs> in a lot of other people's lives. I had friends who said, hey, you know, I heard that you had lupus. My doctor told me I had lupus and I'm freaking out. I love you, but I don't want to be you. I saw everything that you've gone through and I, I just don't want to do it. And I was like, take a breath, calm down. I know some things and that can help you. And right. It's like, how can we do that on a wider scale mm. for, a, you know, for the community of everyone, every person who's struggling um, with with complex medical needs. And um, that's something that I've been exploring lately and I've been getting a lot of support and I've been reaching out to people like yourself and others who shown some interest in helping this cause. So it's been great. I am so excited about what you're doing. I commend you. It's so, it's so cool. So important. And yeah, I, I mean, even just the name like village tree, this idea of, um, building community <laughs> for everyone who's on this bus to hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and having, having a, but like also, you know, that evokes this imagery of like the tree of life and, um, right. and coming together and being, being a community. And that's exactly. so powerful. I, I love your analogy of the bus to hell. It's so, it's so funny, but it's also very accurate because right. <laughs> it does, you know, being on that bus by yourself versus being on it with a whole community of people who experience, are experiencing this together. It's a completely different feeling. And it is. everybody has challenges in life, you know, and they may be physical, they may be with their health, they may be emotional, they may be mental, they may be financial. You know, we all have challenges and the the way that we rise to meet those challenges is what defines us and, and that's who we are. It's who we become. 
Um, and you learn so much about yourself by doing so. And you seem, you know, incredibly mature. <laughs> I think you. based off of everything that you've gone through, it's really kind of forced you to um, really get to know yourself and to go through a lot of self-questioning and self-doubt and discovering a sense of purpose that a lot of people twice your age have not had to do. So, does that ever come with a feeling of sadness or, or pride or what does that feel like? Um, I've, I've been getting that exactly what you said since I've been a kid. I've gone through a lot of things, um, a lot of experiences that really molded the person that I am. And I think the measure of that is how you're able to move on in life with knowing that, you know, whether you have complex trauma, um, how are you able to articulate that in yourself and in the way you move through the world? And what I mean by that is I, there's times again, like I said, I haven't always been a growth mindset, positive person. I've gone through waves of this um, with other traumatic events of my life, um, even starting as a child, but I've learned to take it and use it as an experience to either help others or to grow as a person. Um, and I don't like the analogy that um, that a lot of people like to use, like, well, this, this this has a, you know, purpose and God put this in your life so that you can be this way. It's like, no, you you choose to become that person from your child, right? And, that, and I've chose over and over again to become the person that can help others, that can educate others, that I can support people. And I've had this incredible from my trauma, this is the way I've, I've seen it, but I have this incredible attitude to empathize with others in a way that um, is very unique. And it's one of my strengths is that I've chosen to use these experiences to help others and to empathize and to grow. Um, and I think that's what makes the measure of a person. Um, and so I definitely think if you're on this journey where you're having your ups and downs, you will get there. You know, don't beat up yourself right now. If, you're, if you want to be angry today, for the next three months, life sucks. Why me? Let that let that process, right? Like really understand what you're sitting in, right? Don't become delusional like I did. It was like, I can still do this. I like why I'm like wincing in pain to class, right? Like really understand your limitations, but understand that also this doesn't limit you forever. Maybe this is a right now thing. Maybe it's a okay, I just need to find a way around this thing. But if you can, therapy, 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 therapy. Um, and trauma, like figure out a way to make peace with this um, and don't make your life your condition, but also find ways to help others is the best thing I would say. Yeah, so many of us that go through this come out of it wanting to help others right. because we had such a rough time. And, <laughs> and the idea of someone else going through that rough time without help is heartbreaking. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I share that. I share that desire. That's what this podcast is all about, is like just wanting to create some place for people to go to hear from someone who has their disease and or, or just other people going through something that is like a totally different diagnosis, but so much of the experience can be similar um, because there is community in suffering. Um, yeah. So I mentioned that we had another episode recently with someone with um, systemic lupus, uh, yes. Heather, 
And she actually, you know, based off her experiences as a mom with lupus, wrote a children's book about how, uh, you know, how do children kind of interact with a parent with an autoimmune disease. Very interesting. But she also um, talked about Ben Lista and how that yes. kind of changed her life as well. So, is that how you feel about Ben Lista, is that that was sort of the turning point to get you into remission? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm a person who don't, I don't gatekeep help. I don't ever gatekeep resources or help. So I will put you guys on, you know, <laughs> you, Ben Lista has a copay program and it's expensive if you really want to do it by yourself, but Ben Lista has a copay program. And um, really what I pay for at the end of the day is like nursing administration fees, et cetera. But definitely go on the website, um, sign up for the copay program. If you qualify, great. If not, um, I know there's like certain things in like communities that can help with medication costs, needy meds. Um, there's so many things on there on- online, but that was definitely one of the turning points for me. Um, I, at first, I was a little skeptical about it because, you know, infusions, never had one before. I was like, oh, what is this? Um, but it's definitely something that's awesome. I mean, a lot of other people use hydroxychloroquine, which I feel like doesn't help a ton of people, but it's like the base right? It's like the base and in the bin list that like you add it on together and it's like the magic recipe. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I've, I've spoken with others here actually in Utah. I was like, no, bin list is amazing. It's a life changer. You can get injectables, which I don't inject myself. That's like scary to me. So like kudos for those who can every day. That's not me. Um, so <laughs> I, you know, just get the copay sent to my uh, like pharmacy and in there, my insurance figures, all that stuff out. Um, and then IV once a month and that's I've been driving so it's I'm if that's something that you're like if you have lupus um please explore that talk to your provider see if that would be a good fit so has that affected your kidneys what is the status of your kidneys yeah so right now um I'm in what I consider remission right um it's my kidneys are doing great I've had other things along the way of course like the uh, kidney stones and things, which I feel like <laughs> lupus is one of those. And I think MS is like this too, from what a friend described this to me, but it's like one of those things. It's like, Hey, you know, this is doing great, but let's, let's kind of mess with your eyes for a second or let's mess with your hair. Now your hair is falling out. Great thing. I have like a lion's mane. So like, <laughs> I love that my hair is now falling out. Like as a black woman, my hair is my crown, but like, you know, there's certain different things that it affects with people, but I feel like overall Ben Lista has been keeping keeping everything stable. And that I've been being I've been able to work out, I've been able to do other things. Of course, I've, I have other things that come up along the way, of course, which but the, but for the most part, um my kidneys are in great function. Um it, it's been like that for almost a year now. I I was on CellSap for a while. Um, and it's if for those who don't know what cell sap is, it's basically um medication that they use for patients who had like a kidney transplant and it's to help their body not fight off that new kidney. But I guess it's with the lupus, I guess that's what it's it's helping with, but not the best. <laughs> it didn't even really go well with me. So I quickly got off of that as soon as I can. But um I'm not saying that's gonna be everybody else's experience, but that was my experience. Um, but like Ben Lista, yeah, it's been, it's been great. My kidneys are healthy. My, um, kidney function looks great. Um, and it's been like that for a few months. Um, so almost a year. Yeah. Almost a year. So it's pretty exciting. 
Yeah. How does that make you feel about the future? I know with a disease where any disease where you're where you go from you know flare up to remission, um, there's always you know this is something I'm thinking about sometimes is like while I'm in a relatively good period, does that mean that there is a bad period coming, or does that or is this sustainable? And I just try I just kind of don't think about it. I'm just like try to live in gratitude for the for the good days that I'm having now. Um, but is that how do, how do you conceptualize that for your own health and journey? Yes. So this is I agree with you because I I've gone through that as well recently actually. But um, please get therapy, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm going to plug this as much as I can. It's to help you process and navigate. This is not going to help cure your illness by any means. If it does, great. But it will help you process and navigate having a chronic illness. And I had those times where, again, like with the kidney kidney stones, which I didn't realize was kidney stones. I was, it was the holiday season and I usually don't eat a ton of meat and dairy and things like that. So I guess that's why um, that occurred. But I wasn't, it was my first day of starting my new job and I was super excited and I started noticing like around my kidneys was hurting. So I was again, worried, right? Okay, here's the shoe. The shoe is going to drop. And that was, that's something I think about when these things happen, right? It's like, oh goodness, the shoe's going to drop. Here I am. And so I go to the emergency room and it's a three hour wait. <laughs> and so I here I am in, in utter pain, right? Like just crying. Go to the nurse. She, she asked me with my pain level on a scale of one to 10. I said, it's a nine and we did labs and we're just waiting. And I'm like, waiting. I'm like, why is it taking three hours? I've seen people who came in after me, got to see be seen before me. So I look at the notes because I'm I have access to it on my phone and it says indicated no pain. What? And I went ballistic and I don't remember all that. I My sister was there um, when she came after work. She joined me in the hospital and I, I almost lost my mind. And I think about, you know, this is not an isolated incident. Um, I've heard other black women, other black people have this um, incident, but this is something I've gone through before. Um, and when I think about like my kidneys, I'm like, I can't do dialysis. <laughs> like, you know, obviously if, if I need to, I will have to, but I have to think about things like dialysis and kidney transplants, which I will be on wait list for, for, I don't know how long I'm 22. It's like, my mind is going crazy. And I'm like, here's a shoe. Here's the true dropping. This is what it is. And mm. I have those moments, right? And it's like, how do you not have those moments? I feel like therapy, right? Like really have someone to process that with, right? And and under and have that support system. I have my twin sister who can help advocate for me so you don't feel alone in this experience. But have your support groups, right? And honestly, like you got to understand when it comes to chronic illness, sometimes you'll have the shoe that drops. And sometimes it'll be dire and it'll be something that you might alter things. And sometimes it won't. Sometimes like this, it'll be just be a blip and I need to take something or, you know, change medication routine. And then it's going to be a period of time where there's peace, you know, but <laughs> that that won't last sometimes and sometimes it will. Right. But I feel like each time, like, you know, you might take three steps forward to take two steps back, but you're still one step forward. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just like that. Right. You just have to see it's perspective too. Um, again, like, please, if you can go to therapy, figure out how to navigate these things with your family, have a support system, have a community that understands and who can put you on 
the things, right? And get you the help that you need. And I'm, I'm really hoping that with Village Street Health, we can get that access easier to people. And I want to incorporate things like holistic health, doulas for people who have chronic illnesses and things like that. Because like I mentioned before, the medical system can fail you. And when you're in dire circumstances like that, like that's the last person you want to fail is your doctor. You you don't want them to fail you. And so it's, um, it's, again, it's important to, to have all those elements I mentioned. Absolutely. And yeah, I, you know, when I found my therapist, I called the, the company and said, Hey, do you have someone who works with chronic illness patients? And I'm so glad I asked that question because my therapist has been awesome. Um, and there, yeah, it helps to lighten the load just a little bit. Um, I always say that podcasting is therapy. I really, I really believe that. Just like having a long conversation about just living with a chronic illness is very therapeutic to me. Yeah. Um, but doing that in a professional environment with someone who is trained to deal with that type of thing can be incredibly helpful. And I, I totally, I totally second that. You know, therapy is crucial for for living with a chronic illness. Um, are you at the point where you've started to recognize the um, the growth that you've been forced to make because of the chronic illness, the fact that you have found a new passion and a purpose because of it. Is there any part of you that has started to feel some gratitude for this horrific journey that you've been forced to go on? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I want to be very careful when I say this, um, cause I, again, I don't want to gaslight anyone's experience, but yeah, I, I'm extremely grateful for, um, Again, what how I chose eventually, you know, after screaming, cracking, crying, yelling, um, how I chose to redirect a lot of my pain, um, and how do I I tend to source it into a passion or into a cause, um, and I definitely think that it's incredibly healing um, for everyone. If you can get to that point, great. Again, please go to therapy so that you can eventually get to that point. But I do have a little bit of gratitude for everyone that has gone throughout this journey with me and who has supported me and and I have gratitude for you know the experience that humbled me a lot and has taught me to be deeply empathetic with those especially um patients and other people who've gone through traumatic events that are health related and such and I I'm grateful for I don't, I don't want to say I'm grateful for my trauma, but I'm grateful for the experience and how, you know, I developed and grown from it. So I'm in a, I am in a place of gratitude right now. Um, and I'm grateful for people's story and how they're choosing to share it um, and how it's getting attention and how people are, you know, feeling more awakened to, you know, express themselves and not hide from this. And it's, we're in a period of time right now where I feel like it's becoming more normalized to talk about these things um, and to receive and ask for help and to advocate for itself. So like, I'm just one of many that's in a movement. And I feel like we should, obviously when we all come together, like, this is what we needed. I, I wish that didn't have to be this way. Obviously where we have to like cry and plead for help, but we're just in this, I'm grateful for the movement that I am in right now with individuals like yourself and we're just like a friends of mine who's starting campaigns and awareness months and walks and um, fundraisers. And it's just, it, it's amazing to see others sharing your passion and 
um, being excited to help others. And that's what I'm grateful for. Um, and I feel like, yes, if I, if I did not go through this experience, I probably wouldn't be here. I was always a very deeply empathetic person, but this has definitely made it feel worth it in a sense. I have one more question for you. You started yes. young, um, 15 years old, and that's such a hard time to to begin a chronic health journey. Um, and you've learned a ton of lessons since then. So if you could go back and share one piece of information with your young self or with anyone who is that age, who's starting out on a chronic health journey, you know, I know that we all have to learn these lessons the hard way, which is just by living through them. But is there any piece of information you think you could have shared with yourself at the beginning of this journey that might've been helpful? Ooh, oh, that's a big question. <laughs> There's so much. Um, but I would say the number one thing is do not give up on yourself. Um, have that relationship with yourself where you're your biggest advocate, especially when it comes to doctors. Speak up, ask for what you need, learn, like, kind of like if you had a friend, right? And I use this, like my sister, for instance, I have lupus. She deeply cares about me. So she's done research. She's done, she's like, oh, I heard this product was great. I ordered it. Let's try it. Right. And it's like supplements or something, you know, or I heard that, you know, if you do this, this is great. And she's been a big advocate for me. Um, and I, you know, I would say be that for yourself. Do not give up on yourself. Things are hard. Things, I know some things are more terminal than others, but do not, if by any means, give up on yourself. Advocate for yourself in all spaces, especially with doctors. Learn to read your labs, learn to do the research, find other people out there, but be that person that you would want for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be, it can be harder to be that person for yourself than for someone else. But, and right. I, I, I'm so happy you have someone like your sister to advocate for you. That's so important to have an advocate and obviously learning to advocate for yourself massively, massively important because oftentimes when you see healthcare professionals, they have so little time to talk to you. They're sort of even subconsciously looking for reasons to kind of move things along. And right. if there's any reason, any excuse to not deal with you or to kind of sh shoo you out the door as fast as possible, they're going to take it. So you have to be, uh, you know, you have to be like a linebacker in front of the door and stop them exactly. from, from, getting out. I can't believe I just used a sports analogy. That's not like me. <laughs> um, but you know, it's so, it's so important. We're all taught to just kind of take our doctor's words for things, but sometimes you have to push, you have to present them with information. You, you mentioned like doing research and discovering Ben Lista on your own. Right. Like, that should have been provided to you by a doctor, but that's just I not, definitely agree. that's not the world we live in sometimes. And it's your body, your story, your journey, and you have to take control of it, which sucks because you're exhausted, <laughs> you're sick, you, you know, you got yeah. so few resources to deal with, with this type of thing. And like, sometimes standing up to your doctor is incredibly hard and nerve wracking and makes you feel sick to even think about doing. I've been there many, many times, but it's necessary. And it is. It sucks that that's what what the reality is, but but you know, we can lean on each other. We can talk to each other, learn about what each other's been through, and help each other find the words to to stand up and 
and go after the health that we all deserve to have. And I'm so grateful to you for starting this organization. I can't wait to see what happens with it in the future. Um, so before we wrap up today, please tell us where people can go to find you online, anything at all you'd like to plug, social media, website for the new organization. If you have one, I know it's still you know, in its very early stages, but please let us know where people can go to connect with you. Yeah. So um, like I said, I'm very early stages of starting this, but please reach out to me even um, even on Instagram, right? It's Toya Jules underscore um, T-O-Y-A-J-U-L-E-S underscore. Um, send me a message, share with me your story. If you'd like to get involved in supporting Village Street Health, let me know. I am a big advocate for putting people who, who have these experiences at the forefront of decision-making. Um, I've been in organizations where it's been pharmaceutical company heads and and things like that, who's been making the decisions for us. And I don't want it to be that way. I want us to have that voice. So if you are interested, if you have an expertise or um, some a story you want to share, please would let me know. I'd love to incorporate that when we, as we're making these decisions to develop a, these, this comprehensive platform to help you. So um, yeah, please reach out to me. If you can't find me on the Toya Jewels, my first name is Marime Jewels and it's spelled M-A-R-I-M-E-E. Um, J-U-L-E-S or connect with me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Toya, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. You did such an amazing job. Um, it's great to get to know you a little bit better and to hear about this journey that you've been on so far. And I, I can tell that big things are in store for the future uh, for your advocacy and your fighting for this community. And that is incredible. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. And please feel free to reach out if, if I can do anything for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters-Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, and Justin Minnick. And our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpain podcast.